it really caught my attention in 1 Samuel 17 is when David faces Goliath. Verse 3 we'll start with, it says the Philistines, and Dawn's going to do a great job trying to keep up with me. Uh, the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And it says, verse 4, then Goliath, a Philistine from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, weighed about 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin, on, and on his shoulder, uh, he had a shaft um, of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, and his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. He was a giant. And really, I want you to say out loud with me, a giant force. Goliath was not just a man, but he was a force, wasn't he? Because who knows the story? I'm talking to mature believers here today before we even get into this. Goliath is not just a man, but he is a man in, in person, but he really put, stopped the entire nation of Israel in its tracks and crippled them with fear. The Bible says in verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are all you coming out to fight? He called. I'm a Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. Now, I love how the NLT adds this word taunt. You don't find this in most of the older translations, although it's implied. But this word taunt means... A remark made in order to insult. Everybody say an insult. It's to anger. It says the taunt means to wound, and specifically you're doing these insults and angering and wounding to, to challenge and provoke someone. Everybody say provoke. The enemy came, and he was provoking the Israelites, but really he didn't provoke them into a fight, did he? Because they won't fight him. He was just provoking them. His, he provoked them and caused them to be stopped in their track and crippled. And it's not how God wants us, is it? It's not how God wanted Israel, and it's not how God wants us. Now, I talked last year, and we're not going to get into it today, but I'll just reference that Goliath should have never been there. Who knows your Bible history? Goliath should not have existed because God told them back, if you go all the way back, you go back into the book, you got Joshua, right? And then you have, when they come into Judges, God told them, deal with these things. And you know what happens when you don't deal with something? What happens? It comes back. If you don't, cut it off and deal with it. You know what God says? God said, I warned you about this. I told you, deal with this thing. And because you haven't, now these things, come on, let's just put it, let's make it 2023. These things are going to be constant thorns in your side for the rest of your life. And now it's hundreds of years later for your generations. You don't cut it off. Not only will it affect you, but it will go into your children and your children's children. God's called us to deal with things. And many times we leave these things undealt with because we're afraid to deal with them or whatever the reason, and it has caused us to be crippled, and we are not living. I don't want to be a motivational speaker today, but I'm going to say a lot of motivational things today. It has crippled us to 
to it as it has crippled our potential. I know that sounds motivational, but it's not. I mean, it is, but it's not your classic just saying happy things. To be the believers that God has called us to be. It has trapped us and it trapped them when these things, when we allow them to, to stand there. And, 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 and now David's going to deal with this thing. We know that because we know our word. But this thing, my point here is, just side note, it should not have been here, and it's allowed to be here, but God's got a day where he says it's time to deal with it so it doesn't continue, amen. So we don't want to, you know, we don't want to start, you know, crying, oh man, you know, this is my parents' fault, this is my grandparents' fault, and it's just time to deal with things, amen? Some things didn't need to be there, but that's not the point of today. Today is that we're going to deal with these things, praise God. So he says, I'm a Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. We know it wasn't just a show of strength, but Goliath knew he had the upper hand. You know, sometimes when people taunt each other, there's, there's no substance there to back it up, right? You could throw a taunt out and the other person can say, you know, there's not really any, any strength to your taunt. And I watched a video, sorry, little side note. Watched a video and some guys were on like the Jersey Shore on one of these boardwalk things and and uh, I don't know these two hoodlums were picking a, a fight with like a food cart guy and the guy's trying to protect himself just staying out of it and he's hiding behind the cart and these two guys are like they're trying to go for a fight so they, they kind of corner him he comes out of the cart and finally he's just bam boom. I mean, just one punch, bam. This guy is down with one single punch on the ground. He didn't want trouble. They're taunting him, right? But the point is that Goliath, right? You don't want to poke, you don't want to poke the wrong thing. Goliath, though, when he was standing there, the point is that when he was taunting, they were afraid, right? They were afraid because he was a formidable force. Now, sometimes these moments will come when, uh, you know, we, the devil comes. We've talked about this as believers, right? The devil comes to you with something, and it's really not an issue for you. Everybody has issues, and everybody has issues that aren't issues, right? He comes, and he tries to taunt you into things, and it's just not going to touch you, right? Maybe, maybe whatever, you know, whatever it is, road rage is not your issue. So when he tries to taunt you with that, it doesn't work because that's just not your thing. But then if somebody says it in a private conversation, that really gets you, gets you going, right? And, and the enemy knows that. That's my point to this. The enemy knows when he has the upper hand, and he will taunt you based on that power. And it doesn't mean he has power over God, amen? Come on, we know the end of the story, and that's this sermon today. But he knows his power over, you ready for this? Your flesh. The enemy knows he is more powerful than your flesh, and he will let you know that. And if you are in the flesh, what will you do? Well, they cowered in fear. But let's continue here, verse 9. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you will be our slaves. And he says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Israel had become crippled by one taunt, by one man. 
Our enemy, the devil, and his fallen kingdom are no match for God, but when he shows himself, there is a temptation to be shaken by him. His taunts and threats will appear legitimate and impossible to beat. I want to say that again. The enemy's threats and his taunts will appear legitimate and impossible to beat. And the Israelites were, rightly so, because they were in their flesh, afraid, because in the natural, Goliath was bigger and more powerful, and there was no way they could fight against him. Wow. I'm already excited because I know where we're headed here, and I know you're excited because you know this story as well, but let's keep moving here. So it says, David's older brothers, Eliab and Abinadab and Shimea, verse 13, they already went down. They had joined Saul's army. And uh, so now here comes David on the scene. Verse 14, here's our entrance for him. He's the youngest son of eight sons. And here comes little David, little baby David, right? Because he's the baby boy. He's the youngest, right? He's just a young man. Here he comes. Right? I can just see his innocence. Come on, who can picture the baby, right? The bambino, right? That baby boy coming to all the brothers, right? The big brothers who are always tough, always picking on him. He's the baby. But also the thing about the baby is they have to be tougher, right? They have to kind of be tougher than the rest because they're always competing against all the older brothers. So, you know, the Lord knows. There's actually a whole theory. There are books written about this, about birth order. And God knows what he's doing. But there are literal books about this that you, your personality, a lot of it has to do with your birth order. I'm not trying to get into weirdness, but there's a lot about you that has to do with where you were born in the order of your family. It's very, very interesting. So here he is, the baby boy, and it says that he went back and forth. He was basically helping his father with his sheep, and he must have been delivering food more than once because it says he went back and forth. But it says, verse 16, at this point, Goliath is continuing his taunt for 40 days, every morning and every evening. And verse 17 says that one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and see, verse 18, how they're getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. So Jesse didn't have any intention of sending David to fight, did he? And certainly no one including his father, his brothers, Saul, Goliath, as we know in the story, was not expecting this. He's just going on a very simple mission, bringing some food to his brothers. But something happens, verse 20, when David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning, as he directed him, verse 22, David hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers, and thank you, Don, for keeping up with me. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and David heard him shout. The Bible says, I want you to say this out loud with me, his usual taunt. David heard the same threats that the Israelites heard. But when David heard it, his ears perked up. Praise God. The Bible is talking about David. Uh, and this is his story, but who loves that the Bible was written and, and, and preserved for us? Praise God. And when I hear this story, you know what God is saying? God is saying, listen, Davids, all of you, every single one of you, your ears should perk up when you hear the taunts of the enemy. 
when he begins to taunt, your ears should perk up. You should not, even if your brothers and sisters and the world is just letting these things rule and reign, your ears should perk up and something should happen. The Bible says, as he heard him, verse 24, it says that he heard it, and then it says the Israelites saw him, and they began to run away, as they've been doing for 40 days in fright. Verse 25. Now, this is obviously directed to David, because they've, of course, seen the giant many times now. So this is a question to him. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. And he come, they said he comes out each day, just like this, to defy Israel. And the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Now, David's response is amazing. What David's about to say to me is just, it's amazing. Just, let's just, let's just re review here. The Israelites are gripped with fear, and this fear has crippled them, and it's this fear of the enemy is now ruling in their lives. You know, the enemy has come to try to rule in the world, and he succeeds. Why? Because the world lets him. The world gives him position. In fact, you know, there are <laughs> theories. Some people call them conspiracy theories, but it's not so conspiracy anymore. Now they're just telling you blatantly that, you know, much of the power and elites of the world, they're interacting with these entities still to this day and letting them rule because they give them power and position. Now, that used to be called conspiracy, right? But then you have certain people that have died, and you can, if you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. If you don't, you don't. The last few years, right? Certain islands, people had islands in places where people, elites of the world could come and visit and we could talk about how to rule the world. Not so conspiracy anymore, is it? So the enemy rules the world very easily because the world lets him. But I want to say something to us as Christians. He will try to rule not only in Philistine territory, but he will try to creep in and rule in Christian territory. He will try. And if you will let him, he will take space in your life. Who can see that it's what he's trying to do right now? This once was a Christian nation. I don't care. They can try and rewrite history all they want. You know, I grew up, it was, wasn't that long ago. So, you know, we have some here that were before that. But even as a child of the 80s, you know, I mean, they can't erase my, my memory. They can try to rewrite history. But I remember when they told me, even in secular schools, right, my history that they came to this nation looking for some freedom, and it was God-seeking focused. And yes, of course, there have always been those that came here for gold, right? So you're going to have those that are looking for resources and gold today. There are those that came for power. Of course they did. I'm very aware of how Washington, D.C. and all these things, you know, all worked in ley lines, and you've always got the enemy trying. But they cannot rewrite our history that God founded this nation 
on Christian principles, even if the devil tried to put himself beside it. Amen? And you can see now that the enemy is trying to tear down our heritage, rewrite our history, tear down that heritage, and he's going to try to take up space that he was never intended to. And you can see that this is a generational thing that should have been dealt with a long time ago, right, that is now growing. And I'm not standing here blaming the last generation or our grandparents, but you can see, right, the, how rebellion came in. Well, come on, let's just look at the history. Look at the, look at the hippie era, right? No, I'm not accusing anything, but, right, then those parents raised kids who then raised the next generation, this generation now. Come on, look at that, you know? And now you see a generation that has multiplied into now it's anything goes, any, anything, anybody. If you want to be an animal, you can be an animal. This is not, uh, this, is the, this is true. I, I couldn't believe this. I just heard this two weeks ago. Just in Syracuse, New York, they have kitty litter in the women's bathroom. I am not joking. If you want to, it's for those that identify as animals. They have kitty litter in the bathroom. Try and tell me the devil's not trying to come in and take space. That's right here in New York. You would, I mean, <laughs> you talk to, talk to us in the 80s, the next generation, the 60s, you'd think this was like, yeah, right. I mean, you are like, I mean, what are you talking about? Some sort of weird space future novel thing here? Some sort of weird freak story? There's no way that that would ever happen. And what's happened now is, so now the enemy came in and he's ruling in their lives. And really what's happened is, is fear fear of dealing with it because of consequences of even losing their lives, right, has now made them prisoners in their own domain. This territory was given to them by God, and now the enemy came in, he instilled fear in them, and now he's got them trapped in their own territory. And they're essentially saying this, you ready for this? I can, let's just stop and just picture this battle now. The Bible says there was a great valley between them. Philistine is over there. Israel's here. And what did Israel do? You know, they, they came up to the valley line and they stood there and, at their position. And this is essentially what they're saying. I'm safe here as long as I don't get too close to the enemy. I can survive here. They had come, they had become, right, and Jeannie actually spoke on this on a Tuesday, something very similar to this, not exact words, but the enemy tries to take a position and gets power that he was never given, and we actually don't even realize we've given him power in these areas that he was never really supposed to have. Now, there are some things, like I said, there is a plan and purpose in Look at the book of Revelation in the world. It's not surprising that the world elites are working with Satan because that's going to happen. We know that it has to happen. Ultimately, they're going to come together as one big giant world kingdom, and Jesus is going to come back and get us. Praise God. That's our story. That shouldn't be surprising. But he is never supposed to, was never supposed to, and is never supposed to, if I've said it all different ways, I think I did, supposed to have domain in our territory. And so essentially they said, we're safe here, 
And I and I, is, I just want I'd rather be safe than have to deal with this enemy. And I want to say this again, not as a motivational speaker, but we are meant to thrive, not just survive. I want you to say that out loud. We are meant to thrive, not just survive. And I feel like the enemy, this is the word from the Lord, has put many believers in survival mode, not thriving mode. You're just getting through life. I'll just, I don't want to poke too many bears. Come on. That's pun intended because we're going to talk about a bear, aren't we? I don't want to poke too many things because I'd rather not deal with things. I'd rather just be safe right here. And we know what happens is the enemy will keep crippling and crippling, and your safety zone will get smaller and smaller. Do you think he's going to be satisfied with the position you're in now? He's not. He will continue until there's no place left for you. And then it's his domain. David asked the soldier standing nearby, and this is his response. Verse 26. What? Come on. I love this response. This is amazing. What will a man get? Wait a second, David says. Wait a second. What did you just say? So now let's just picture, picture this valley. Here's the usual taunt. Here comes giant Goliath, and everybody's running away in fear. It's like David's just blind to that. All he hears is, if a man does this, he's going to be exempt from taxes, get the daughter's wife. I mean, get the daughter's wife. Wow. Get the king's daughter as a wife. <laughs> the king's daughter as a wife. All he hears is, he hears differently than Israel does. Praise God. We need ears to hear, don't we? You know what he hears? He hears gain. He doesn't look and hear the enemy's taunts. He hears the result. I think this is just amazing. David is more concerned about the results and benefits of taking this enemy down than having fear to deal with that thing. Praise God. Let me say that again. David is more he is more concerned about the results and benefits of taking this enemy down. We should look with this perspective. What will I gain for going through this? You might think that's not a very Christian perspective, and yet it is absolutely God's heart. David, the, the man after God's own heart right here, who says, if I deal with this, there's going to be a benefit. Come on, praise God. There are benefits to me dealing with these devils that have had dominion for far too long. And he's looking at that with greater authority than the enemy who is trapping them in their fear. He doesn't let his fear, his emotions, or the unknown. I want, you, I want to say this again. He doesn't let his fear, his emotions, or the unknown control him. He sees an issue that needs to be addressed, and he is more focused on the benefits of this thing gone than the loss of his safe place. Wow, that needs to be said again. He doesn't let his fear, his emotions, or the unknown control him. He sees an issue that needs to be addressed, and he is... 
He is more focused on the benefits of this thing gone than the loss of his safe place. He doesn't even consider the cost, just the reward. Wow. You know the Bible talks about a tremendous cost to follow Jesus. You know that. There are many, many scriptures that talk about the cost. But you know what it says? It says that when the man found the pearl of great value, he sold everything else, right, for that pearl. The other, in Matthew 13, we don't need to turn there, but it just says he found a treasure in a field and he sold everything to buy that field. Paul says, I gained all the wisdom and I could have had anything in this world and it's all trash, it's all rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. They don't look, there were people in our word and we must be like them that did not look at the enemy and let him control they did not look at the things of this world. They did not look with eyes in the natural, but they looked with spiritual eyes. It's as if God gave them, God gives, gave David, and he can give to us too, eyes to see. It's like, it's like blindness to the enemy's taunts. It's that you are, he's aware of them. He's obviously aware because he's asking, what am I going to gain to deal with it? But he's not afraid of dealing with it. He, he has been given this, this, this special strength inside of him that says, I, I can do this. And we're going to get into why right now, because the Lord's inspiring him to. Praise God. It says, verse 26, who is, this is one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible. You might know it as this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? One of my favorite verses, because I can just hear David. Who can hear him standing there? So he's firstly considering the benefits, which I think is amazing, that he says, what's the benefit of dealing with this? That's what he's focused on. Come on, believers. Sometimes we don't want to deal with something because you don't want to go through the pain. You don't want to have to deal with it because it means there's going to be a fight involved. Instead, we should say, I'm not even going to consider what it's going to cost or going to take. This thing needs to be dealt with because there's great gain on the other side. Praise God. And then he says, then he considers his enemy. Now, this is what's amazing. The entire nation of Israel, including King Saul, including even Jonathan, who did love God, would not face this thing and yet David says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. That's amazing. He also saw that this was just a Philistine. What match is he to God? David did not look at this Philistine. He did not look at Goliath as something that he would have to face. But he said, who is he to God? And this is where we must get to as believers, whatever the situation, whatever the thing is, whatever the struggle is, if you think, man, I could never do this, I can never face it, I'm never going to get over it, I just can't get through this struggle, it's because we're thinking of trying to do it in our own strength instead of saying, is this a match to God? And the answer is no. And secondly, why would we allow him? Now, this is the key here. He says that he, why is this enemy allowed? That's a key word. Why is he allowed to defy the armies of the living God? 
Why have we allowed this thing to enslave our people? And it says, David, they, he, they, he gets the reply again, just going here, just, just speeding through, and it says that just, just for time's sake, because I don't want to get into every little detail, but his brothers hear that David's just asking about this, and it says that his brothers are angry. They're like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What about those few sheep? Remember? Come on. <laughs> and they say, I know about your pride and deceit. And David's like, I'm just asking a question. And it's obvious that David is the opposite of pride, isn't he? David is so humble. You know, David made some tremendous mistakes in his life, didn't he? I mean, some serious mistakes, but there's one thing David did not have, and it was pride. And he's being accused of pride. And you know, I began to meditate on this, and it's, you know, it could be, it could come across as pride because over and over, David doesn't let fear control him. It's, if you look at David's story, whatever life-threatening thing is asked of him, he shows no fear, even if it was inside of him. He shows no fear, and he goes for whatever is in front of him every time. There's not one story. I mean, there might be some seasons, maybe Absalom, he gives him some more time than we would like. You know, we don't understand why he let him rule for so long, but there is not a battle that David does not ultimately face. Every single one, he repents if he needs to repent. He faces what he needs to face. He does not let those things rule. It might take some time, but he deals with those things, and it was, he was incredibly humble. And we need to know this. I just want to make a note here. We don't fight, Ephesians 6 says, against flesh and blood. And many times, and this is a tactic of the enemy, remember, and I talk about this probably every other Sunday, remember, Peter came and told Jesus, I'm not going to let you do this, you're not going to go to the cross, I'll never let it happen, right? But what was actually happening? Jesus said to him, Satan, get behind me. Why? Because many times, even your own brothers and sisters, those closest to you, they don't even know what they're doing, but Satan's using their voice to try to intimidate, right? Intimidate. Let me say that fully. Intimidate. They're trying to belittle you and, and try to put things on you that are not you. Ultimately, what all it was was just go back, go back to your to what you were doing before. This is not your battle to deal with, and and it was his battle, wasn't it? Praise God. Well, the Bible says that King Saul hears of it and he sends for him, and it says in verse thirty-two, David says, "Don't worry about this Philistine." David told Saul, "I'll go fight him." Verse thirty-three says, "Don't be." I love how the NLT, NLT uh, says this. Don't be ridiculous. You know, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous that you have some nerve to want to deal with the issues that have crippled the world. It's ridiculous for you to think, are you what, are you better than the rest of the world? The whole world is crippled with these issues, and you think you don't have to have them? It is such a lie from the enemy. And even Saul here, he's not Satan. He's still called God's king for a season, right? Even David doesn't kill him because he's God's king for a season. But there, right here, we can see 
that it says, Saul says, don't be ridiculous. Saul is in his flesh. Satan is speaking through Saul to David. And it says, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. And I was meditating on this, and I thought, you know, Saul actually is speaking truth here. Actually, Dan said it to me once, and I think it's amazing. I stole it from him. I'm going to bring it out now. He's not speaking truth. He's speaking facts. There's a difference between facts and truth. Praise God, right? The facts are Goliath was bigger. He's been a man since he was a man of war since his youth, and David is just a youth. But the truth is David is not alone. Come on, praise God. The facts are, I can't get past this issue, whatever it is in my life, but the truth is I have Jesus Christ who went to the cross, who paid the price for me, who shed his own blood, come on, who conquered Satan on, come on, on Golgotha and is standing, my word says, not even, he is closer than a brother. He is linked with me in arms. He's even taken habitation in my own heart. Praise God. David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. And I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. He says, verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. As always, my clock is ticking. Man, you think after two weeks back, two weeks away, maybe, I don't know, does he have a lot to say? Or is it going to be really fast? I don't know, maybe you're wondering, coming back. That clock keeps ticking so fast. I want to say this. I have two points, and these are really the major points of this sermon today. There's, there are some things here that David has just established that we must do, and it is this. Number one, he says, he says, God rescued me from these things. David's pointing out that he says, I did this and I did that, right? The lion came and the bear came and I dealt with them. But what David realizes is he says something very key. If you were just to read verse 34 through verse 36, it would sound like David is a man of war himself and that David is quite a warrior. But yet David and he was, praise God, the, the Lord has called us to be warriors for his kingdom as well. And he puts gifts and abilities in you. I'm not taking that away from David, and I'm not taking away from what he made you. But I want you to get what he testifies. He says, the Lord rescued me. The Lord did it. I swung. Come on. I grabbed his jaw. But when I did it, I didn't expect that I had the strength to stop that animal, but the Lord was with me, and he's going to be with me now. Praise God. David's strength came from the Lord. Everybody say his strength came 
from the Lord. Specifically, David had a confidence in the Lord. He speaks confidently to anyone who objected, not because he was confident in himself, but this is what I want us to get today. He knew what God can do. He knew what God did do, and he pointed that confidence to the present situation and said, this is what God will do. There's a sub-point that must be noted, and it leads directly to point number two. And it's this, his confidence came. He didn't just gain confidence in God because he just grabbed a lion and killed it. Where did his confidence begin? It came from spending time with God. If you read the Psalms, you'll read this. It's clear God, it's clear that David spent a lot of time with God because what do you read? He was going through something and you'd see David penning it down. I love that David's just honest. We try to be so super Christians. We just need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. David was never afraid to testify of his weaknesses, but then he put them before the Lord and said, but you are strong. That's not the end of the story. Just because my enemy is afflicting me, I know you're God. And even when he's dealing with internal issues, why is the world so successful and we're not? He says, but then I considered it all. Man, I came to my senses. I came back into the presence of God and realized they've got nothing and you are everything. When he was going through something, he would plead with God. He would testify of the issue of God, and then, and then he would testify of God's greatness and his mercy and his grace. And this leads me into my second point, which is the person you are today requires the person you were Yesterday, I want you to say that out loud. The person I am today required the person I was yesterday. Because Goliath conquering strength was being developed. This could turn into a five-hour sermon. We're like barely scratching the surface here. Praise God. There's so much in his word, isn't it? You know, people say there's the words hard to understand, you know, it's just, it's just, it's so gibberish to me, whatever, right? There's so much life in here. I want to say this. Goliath conquering strength was being developed by conquering the lion and the bear. Sometimes we're like, Lord, why can't I deal with this issue? And the Lord's saying, because you ran from the smaller issues. If you run from the troubles today and don't face them in the same way that Goliath afflicted generations ago and is now standing here, what David doesn't even know, but he's faithful to the Lord, is that the Lord is preparing him to deal with that thing by dealing with his own internal issues, which is what? What was the main issue here for Goliath? What was the issue? We don't trust God enough to deal with this. Our strength, it's not enough. So we're just going to keep ourselves safe here, and we're going to let that thing rule because I don't have the ability to do it. And David doesn't even consider his own abilities. He testifies of what he's done and then finishes by saying, oh, well, but, well don't get confused. I'm not saying I did that. It was the Lord who did it. And why wouldn't he do this now? 
If we run from our troubles today and don't face them, not only will that trouble keep coming, but you won't be prepared for greater struggles. You cannot bypass the process. It is a maturity. There is a maturity that God is developing in all of us. And I think sometimes we're, de- we're, we, we're saying to God, why is this lion still here? Why are these bears here? Why do these things keep coming and trying to take? And God is actually saying to you, these things, these things seem like the real issue, don't they? Man, you must feel like this is, this is the issue, huh? The Lord's like, if you only knew what I'm trying to prepare you for, and if you will trust me here, these things are nothing. I've got a Goliath for you to take down, but you must deal with these things now. Come on, praise God, so that you're ready to deal with what I have for you in the future. And just for time, we'll wrap some things up. What happens? Come on, I'll just, I'm going to summarize, and if we get deeper into it next week, then so be it, but I'll just summarize here. What happens? Come on, we know the story. You know what happens? Saul says, okay, all right, okay, all right, you convinced me. You're probably going to die. You're probably not going to make it, but I'll let you go. I don't think Saul was convinced that David could do it. Saul says, all right, here's all my armor, right? Who's, that, who's got the picture of the little kid in dad's clothes? doesn't say that David's short, but we always picture him as short. I don't know, just because he's the youngest. And because it says that, that Saul was tall, he was head and shoulders above the others. So we kind of have this picture of him being taller. So I think he was. I just picture this, like, you know, kid trying to walk in this armor. And I just feel like I, I need, even though the clock is, is, we're really running out of time now, but I really need to make this point is that the symbol here is that David dealt with issues all along, and so then he was ready to deal with Goliath. But what happens is we want a quick fix. (laughs) We want the quick fix. The symbol here is that Saul says, I can put a wall of protection on you. I can give you something to protect you. And it's man-made strength instead of God's. Wow. I'll give you a shield not God's shield. I'll give you some protection, not God's protection. We need God's shield, God's protection, God's grace. This is what, this is what David testified. Psalm 3. Come on. I love this. And who loves this old song? Come on. Hosanna music. Thou art a shield for me. What did he say? Psalm chapter 3. It says, so many are saying God will never rescue him. Psalm 3 verse 2. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Verse 6, I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Wow. That's David's words. So when David stood there, you know what he says? He said, I'm not used to them. I'm not, this is not, I can't let you put on me human strength. I'm going to go naked, basically. He was clothed, but he went naked of armor. 
I'm not going to go in man's strength. I'm not going to go in the, in the protection of this world. He went out there completely and fully, I mean, just 100% unprotected in the natural before the enemy. Because it was either going to be the Lord's glory or not. And, and the Lord is calling, and we know what he does. He picks up five st stones. He's a shepherd. That's what he's used to. This is what he did. And he swung his sling, right? This is, and he takes down Goliath. Goliath sneering at him. Goliath's doing. Now he's been taunted now personally by Goliath. And when he stands there, he says, it's going to be God who takes you down, not me. Let me make this clear. He says to him, God's going to take you down. I'm not going to take you down. The Lord's going to take you down. And this is what it says to close in Romans 8, verse 31. We need to get this. Sometimes we, we hear Christianity. We get good at Christianity. We need to get good at being real believers, real Christians. We get good at like being knowledgeable of the concepts of God, but walking them out is hard. And I'm not saying that it's hard so that that's a license to not do it. Oh, well, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Yes, praise God for his grace and mercy. But his grace and mercy are not an excuse to not have to walk out what God has called us to walk out. And what is happening? When we don't walk it out, are we going to go to heaven? Yes. Does God love us? Of course. That's what I'm about to read. His love doesn't separate from us. It's not about his love, and it's not about heaven and hell here. This is about, first of all, your life being free. I mean, that's at the very base. But this was ultimately about an entire nation that was held captive, and one person who stood up. Come on, one person who actually walked out what God called him to walk out freed an entire nation of bondage. Imagine what God can and will do with you if you will let God help you deal with issues in you, and then you can deal with the issues outside of you. And this is what it says. Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I love that verse so much because... You know, we just camp there. And everybody says, Does anything, can anything ever separate us from his love? But you don't hear the rest of this verse quoted very often. Who has heard this verse quoted in part? Can anybody testify you hear the part? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Right? We, we just say that phrase. And that's a great phrase. Praise God. Testify of that. But what does it say? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry? <laughs> Should I keep going? destitute or in danger or threatened with death? That's what trapped Israel. Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You may know it as we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Excuse me. And he says, and I am convinced, verse 38, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels, demons, fears for today, worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Praise God. 
like you for giving me an extra couple of minutes too, without me asking you. <laughs> but let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Jesus, that we've already testified of it today, Lord, and let's just say it again. You are with us. You have never left our side. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that every threat and every taunt, everything that has held your people captive and has put us, Lord, it's trapped us on this side of the valley. I thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would fill us with strength from you. Lord, help us to deal with the things inside of us that have trapped us. Give us, Lord, a supernatural strength. Give us eyes to see your victory over the threats of the enemy. I pray, Lord, that we would see, Lord, who you are instead of focusing on who the enemy is. I pray, Lord, that we would focus on your promises and on your truth more than the facts. I pray, Lord, because you, praise God, Lord, are the same God today yesterday and forever. And I just thank you, Jesus. Send us out of here, Lord God, with an inspiration, Lord, to want to know you, to seek you, and to stand for you in the way that you've actually called us to, Lord, not in our perspective and not in our way, but, Lord, who we're supposed to be in you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.